Uh, I'm going to be talking about God this morning. And so, when I do, I do it with, with a lot of temerity because He's listening to what I'm saying. And I want to be sure and say the right things about my God. Now, the first thing you see on the chart up above you is that God is. And that next statement is mine. I believe that God exists. And I want to hasten to tell you, it doesn't make any difference what I believe. Or what you believe or anybody else believes. God exists. Whether we believe it or not. Romans chapter 3 at verse 3, Paul said, But, but if, our, what if some, do, some do not believe, what if some do not believe? It makes the faith of God of no effect. doesn't make any difference. Whether you believe or don't believe, God exists. Amen. Now, I'm going to be using, we'll be talking about three things with, with, uh, with God to start with in this text. You may not have noticed it when we read it. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so forth. But when we got to the text that talked about God, it says there's one God and Father of us all. So there are three things in that expression. Not just one, there are three points. And, and the reason I, I want to emphasize this is because I use the King James translation of the Bible, and some of you may or may not be using this, some of you may be using translations that don't read exactly like this one does. I want you to know why I use the King James. Um, not only because I started out this way over 50 years ago, or maybe 60 by now. I started out with the King James, and I'll probably end up with the King James. And the reason I did was because I noticed and I was told that the translators of the King James Version were men that were totally dedicated to the fact that they believed that every word that they read in the ancient manuscripts came from God. So they treated each word as if it were God's words. And as I read the New Testament and found out more about this in the Old Testament, I, I ran across texts like 2 Timothy 2.16 that says, All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I believe in plenary inspiration. That means word for word. I believe that every word we read in the New Testament came from God. I do not believe in thought inspiration. So you'll have another Bible. You'll probably have another Bible that will sometimes just sort of explain it, the text. It doesn't state the text. It just explains it. And that's fine. As long as you understand that these fellows in these new translations are explaining what they believe the Bible says. The King James translations will, tell, will show you the words that were supplied by those who thought they knew what the word meant, and they italicized that word. So if the word's not actually in the text, they don't translate it. They, they, put, in, they put it in italics. The same thing, this, the 47 scholars did this in 16... Around starting in the 1603 or 4, they started out, finished it up in 1611. King James asked them to translate the Bible. Forty-seven of the ripest scholars in that period of time. Good men, good men that have had a deep conviction that this was God's 
word they were handling. In 1901, another group, both English and American, got together and translated the scriptures, and they called it the American, American Standard Version, ASV. And that one does the same thing. And there are other translations that do that. Just, just to understand this, as you're reading the scriptures, if you're reading a translation that does not show you the difference between what the Bible says, actually says, and what men thinks it says, then just understand that you probably need to get a hold of a King James translation or a New King James translation or an American Standard translation if you really want to get down and, and find out what the words actually were. Now, we're not losing God's Word. We're not losing it at all. We're just saying that these, these are translations that help us understand some of these expressions that were in the 17th century and in the 20th century. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. So when I read texts like that, I think I need to know the exact words that came in those old manuscripts that came down to us because they were spiritual words. Now, that said, that said, let's look at the text. One God and Father of all. Three words here that we need to examine. One is God. That's one of the words. The other word is one. The other word is Father. There are three expressions in this, this expression. Three, three terms. Now, the first consideration, of course, is, as we have on, on the board, that God is. I believe that God exists. If, if you remember your Old Testament history, you remember when uh, Moses stood at the burning bush? I know the kiddos remember that. The kids remember that Moses was talking to God and God was speaking through a burning bush. And he was telling Moses, he's saying, I want you to go down and get my people out of Egyptian captivity. Now think about this a minute. The Egyptians had, had held it in captivity, the children of Israel, some four million strong, and 600,000 of those men were able to bear the sword and the shield, but they were working individuals. And they were the backbone of the Egyptians' economy. And so God is telling Moses, you go down and tell, tell Pharaoh, I want, those pe I want those people, I'm going to take them out from under your control. I'm going to ruin your economy, and I'm going to take them somewhere else, and I'm going to give them another land, land that flows with milk and honey. Now that's what he's telling Think about this. Of course, we're, we're close to it in our own day and time. When slavery was predominant in the South, and... And during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln and those on the northern, northern uh, states and so forth, northern, northern states that, that stayed with the Union, they said, we're going to flee, free your slaves. And what did the people in the South say? Not on your life, you're not getting our slaves. Because our slaves are the backbone of our economy. Cotton was king. I don't know if anybody here has ever picked cotton. I have. I'll tell you what, if you haven't picked cotton, if you're not used to it, by the end of the first hour, your fingers are bloody. That's terrible. That was rough. 
Well, these people did that kind of work. The slaves did that kind of work. Later on, Martin Luther King Jr. said something like Moses said, let my people go. They still hadn't let them go in the 1960s. So we're still, we're still struggling with that. But the point is, Moses was told of God, he said, go down there and get these people and tell Pharaoh they're my people and I'm taking them home. I'm taking them with me. And you know what Moses said? He said, wait a Me? I'm going to tell them that? Who am I? Who can I? So Moses wanted to pass the buck. He said, what am I going to tell them? And God said, tell them that I'm telling you to get them loose. And he said, well, who are you? And God said, I am that I am. He is God. They belong to Him. Everything belonged to Him. So He can say, come get them. He can say, I want them back. I want them now. In the 1960s, we had reached the point in this, you know, for a long time, for the longest time in the history of mankind, the, the question of whether or not God exists didn't even come up. Everybody just assumed God is. Isn't that correct? Yes. Now, I was still in college in the early 60s when this issue was, this was in 1966, Time Magazine. That's the first time Time Magazine ever ran a, a magazine without a photo of something on the front with just words. Did you know that? They had never run an issue like that before. And they ran the issue that said, and it doesn't, it doesn't say God is dead. It says, is God dead? And boy, did that spark a controversy on college campuses and across this world. Is God dead? That was a question that was asked. In the 1800s, in the early 1900s, by a man named Friedrich Nietzsche. And he asked, actually asked the question, is God dead? And people misunderstood what he was saying. He wasn't actually claiming that God was dead. What he was saying was, you're acting like he's dead. You've behaved in such a way that as far as you're concerned, he doesn't exist. Now that's all Nietzsche was saying. But everybody took it the wrong way and said, oh, oh, Nietzsche is saying there is no God. He wasn't saying that at all. But here, the controversy in the 60s was that people were saying, God is dead. There is no God. As far as they were concerned, there is no God. Now, I know that God is alive. I know there is a God. I believe that with all of my heart. And we can prove that. We can, dem we can demonstrate it. Maybe not to the satisfaction of the unbeliever, but still, there is solid empirical evidence that God exists. Now, some, some uh, scientific-minded folks will say, well, not, I'm not sure that can be done. But Paul said in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, when he was at Lystra, he said, Talking about God, he said, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Now that's all Paul said. These people understood that God exists. They just didn't know who he was. They understood it. So 
regardless of whether or not we can demonstrate that God exists, He does. Whether we can demonstrate it to the satisfaction of everybody, He does. Paul said again, when he was at Athens on Mars Hill, that was the cultural, intellectual center of the ancient world, the Grecian world. And the Grecian world encompassed everything as far as intellect was concerned, and sophistication, and philosophy. So Paul, they said, hey, hey Paul, how about coming up here and speaking to us? Tell us something about what you, what you believe. And so Paul got up and he, he, he looked around and he saw that they had all sorts of idols. They didn't want to insult anyone. They didn't want to forget anyone. And so they had an idol sitting there. I don't know what it looked like. But they had an idol sitting there and it was, it was labeled to the unknown God. They didn't want to forget anyone. They, they were very culturally sensitive people. We don't want to forget a God. So he said, to the unknown God. And Paul said, I'm going to tell you about him. Because you don't know him, but I'm going to tell you about him. He said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needs anything, seeing he gives life and breath to all and to all things. Well, he got down to the resurrection and they, they hissed and booed him off the stage. They really wanted him to take hemlock, like, like uh, Socrates did, but he didn't do that. They wanted him to die for his belief. Evidences of, of the existence of God abound, and I'm going to tell you just very quickly, and if you ask me, do you, do you think you could, you could maintain that argument? And I think I can. I think I can maintain this argument that God exists from the, from the uh, simple evidence of design. Amen. If you can see design in the universe, you can see a designer. Right? Amen. Okay. Look at the eyes. Now, evolution ro arose with Darwin to try to offset the idea that God created your eyes. Darwin had the, had the theory, and everybody's looking for a way to, to elbow God off, off the stage and say, no, he, he didn't do it. It just happened. You needed to be able to see. Therefore, you, you had transformations, and, and you had a transmutation of species. And after a while, because you needed to see, you got to see. And because you got to see, you were hardier than anyone else. And so therefore, those who could see would last longer, and therefore you have the survival of the fittest. Anyway, the argument runs on and on and on. I don't think true scientists... The theory of evolution by Darwin is still a theory. It's never been proven. There are no missing links that have been supplied and so forth. But we're not talking about that right now. Let's just talk about design. When, you're, when, when the light strikes your eyes, then you see an image... And that image turns upside down. You're seeing everything upside down, whether you know that or not, whether you realize it or not. You're seeing everything upside down. And it hits the back of your cornea, and it hits the back of your eye, and, uh, and, and then, you're, then the back of your eye begins to separate all the colors and so forth, so you can therefore see everything in technicolor. And then it's transmitted through the nerve to the, to the brain. And the brain interprets everything. 
Now, brother and sister, believer and unbeliever, that, that argues designed in my mind. That is something that doesn't just happen. It's like saying that the most magnificent, most magnificent discovery of this earth just popped up and just happened in chaos. The same with the ears and so forth. Anyway, design argues for the designer. And we don't, we're not here to argue that point this morning. We're not, we're not here to point that out. But the existence of God is not a great feat of faith. In other words, it doesn't take a lot of faith to believe that there is a God. There's just too much evidence. Too many things around us that, that argue for that. So it's not a great leap of faith. You say, oh, you believe in God? You're, you're unusual. No, I'm not unusual. <laughs> believing in God, believing that there is a God, is not something that's unusual in this world. No, not at all. Matter of fact, James says in the book of James, he said, you believe there is a God? You do good. The devils also believe in him. <laughs> so it's not a great thing that you believe in God. Because He is, whether we believe He is or not, there is God. He is there. Now the next statement I have is, there is one God. Now that's what we're talking about in the text. In the book of Deuteronomy 6, Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Singular. Just one God. Idolatry, pagan idolatry, is just about a thing of the past in our generation. Isn't that correct? We don't, we don't see too many people worshiping totem poles. We see them around in museums. We don't see too many people bowing down before a plethora of, of gods in another country. We don't see that much. In some of the backward third world countries, it's still going on to some degree, but essentially, we're not really overwhelmed with idolatry. But, but they were in the, in the days of Moses. It's, it was something that Israel fell into right away. They, they fell into, they were concerned about idolatry because they were saying, well, we believe there's lots of gods. That's idolatry. Exodus chapter 32, on Mount Sinai, while Moses was meeting with God, the very people that God had taken out of bondage were at the base of the mount. They got nervous and impatient, and they said, hey, maybe God didn't do it. So they asked Aaron if he would help them out a little bit. So they all brought all their gold jewelry and so forth. They melted it down, and they made a golden calf. Now, what we're talking about is a bull. Have you ever seen a cow? A bull. That's what they, were, that's what they had. The old, the old Assyrian bull is what they had. And they said, this is your God. This is, this is the one that brought you out of Egyptian bondage. My goodness. It didn't take them long to go back to, go into idolatry, did it? In Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, some people think this is talking about all the idolaters, adulterous nations around them, but this is talking about Israel. It says, because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. These folks that God had brought out of Egyptian bondage, even before they got to the promised land, had, had left back into idolatry, and then they just kept going back to it, and going back to it, and going back to it, and couldn't seem to get out of it. 
They couldn't seem to realize, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's just one. In the current day, we have lapsed back into what we call modern idolatry. I know, I don't think you realize that. But politically correctness says that we must believe that any religion and any God is acceptable and right. Our Constitution says that we cannot, we cannot uh, favor one religion over another. Well, that's fine. That's fine. The government can't get involved in that. But the government can't tell me that I have to believe that Allah is God too. Amen. And the government can't tell me that I believe that Buddha is a God either. Amen. Or all the Hindu gods are gods. The government can't tell me that. Now, I don't, I don't want to make life miserable for those folks, but I want them to know I don't believe what, you, what you're teaching. I believe there's one God, and His name is the Great I Am. That's who He is. The God of the, of the Bible. Politically correctness or not, we have what is called an ecumenical movement that's moving along right now that's saying, hey, you have to accept all religions and what they think and what they teach if you're going to be broad-minded and if you're going to be a decent kind of a citizen in the United States of America, you've got to take it all in. And my answer to that is no. I believe that our God is one God. Amen. That's what I believe. And I know you, you believe that too. Now let's look at another chart. If I can get it up. I'm, I'm not good at this. We have to trust God. It's not just a matter of saying, yes, I believe there is a God. I believe God is. That, it really, that's the way to say it. Instead of saying, I believe there is a God, I say, I believe God is. He exists. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt... He led them across the Red Sea. The sea actually opened up and the land was dry and they walked across on dry land. Nearly four million people on dry land. They got across, the waters came back in and, and drowned the pursuers. <laughs> almost, almost less than a day, the people were doubting whether or not God could take care of them. Can you imagine that? Now then, the point I'm trying to make is, if, if I want evidence that God is, I'm not going to look for a miracle. Because miracles do not prove that God is. They do not do it. Look at Egypt. Okay, they came across the Red Sea. 31 days later, they were, they were harping about it again and saying, Hey, can God give us anything to eat? Can God give us anything to drink? And he provided all that, and they were still complaining about it, and still wondering not whether or not God was capable of taking care of them. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity this last week to, to quote Psalms 23 in your mind again, in your heart. Boy, I did. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to take care of me. And I quote the whole thing. Sometimes it's tough for me to do that because sometimes I, got it, I get into tough spots and, I, and I, instead of trusting God I begin to think well Bill how are you going to get yourself out of this one 
And I have to think of Psalms 23 again. No, it's time to trust in God. He's the one that's going to take care of me. Believing in God involves trusting in Him that He will take care of us. So it's not just to say, I believe that God is, or I believe God cares for me. We have to trust Him. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, He that comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that believe in Him, that trust in Him, that diligently seek Him. Actually, is what the Bible says. Amen. That diligently seek Him. So now we trust in God. It's not just a matter for me, Bill, to say, hey, yes, I believe. I have to trust Him. And I have to know Him. I have to know somebody. People say all the time, well, if there is a God, why didn't He do this? If there is a God, why didn't He do that? If there is a God, why didn't this happen? Why did this happen to me last time? How come this, this fell upon my shoulders? And so we begin to ask all these questions and saying, well, if there is a God, why, 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 why? You know what the problem is? We don't know Him. We don't know Him. Someone comes to me and says, hey, Bill, why don't you get out there and work? hard somewhere. Why don't you get a shovel and a pick and go to work somewhere and make a decent, honest, clean living? They don't know me. <laughs> what they don't know is I, I did that before, but I can't do it anymore. For them to ask me why I can't do those things, they don't know me. Isn't that correct? Well, okay, Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, God said, hey, I'm going to give you everything. You just have a good time. Here it is. But don't don't get into this tree over here. I don't think it was an apple tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't touch that. Or, if you do, you're going to have to leave town. You're going to have to get out. What did they know about God? They should have known all about Him. That He was good for His word. What he said was going to be honest and trustworthy. He wasn't going to lie to them. They should have known something about God. There they were in the garden with him. They should have known who he was, what he wanted. But they went ahead and ate the fruit. So now then someone says, why didn't God... Why did God let me get sick? Why did God, why did God not let me get that good job? Why did God let me lose my house because I didn't make the payments? Why, 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 why? Well, you know what we need to do? We need to get acquainted with God. Find out what He has promised to do for us. Once we find out what God said He will do for us, and who He is, then we won't be asking those questions. Then we'll know the answer to those questions, because then we will know God. We will know his character. We will know what he does and what he doesn't do. And then I won't have to, I won't have to be making those accusations or, or asking those questions. We must know God. Adam and Eve didn't seem to know him. And then, the reason why they don't know him, of course, is because and if, we, if we don't know him, it's because we haven't read the book. Amen. Read the book. This will tell you about God. I, I remind, I'm reminded of a, of a kid that was an orphan all his life. And uh, late in his life, he, he found his birth parents. 
that he'd been orphaned, found his birth parents, found his dad. And, and when, they, when they got together, the, the kid didn't know his father. Didn't know him. Didn't know what he looked like. Didn't know what he acted like. Didn't know what he liked. Didn't know what he liked or didn't like. He didn't know him. So they had to get acquainted. Isn't that correct? When we, when we are out in the world, we're just doing what we want to do. We don't, we don't know anything about God. So then we start saying, well, why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't he do that? How about this? How about... We don't know him. Once we get acquainted with him, then we'll understand why he's doing what he's doing. Those of us who have left God have no idea who he is. We don't try to understand him. We're suspicious of him. We, sign, we assign him motives that are not his and actions that are not his. We criticize him. We aren't acquainted with him. We forget that he is God and we are his creatures and we want to make him in our image and say, if I were God, this is what I would do. You follow me? The problem is we don't know him. We've, and, and some even have forgotten him. Once you know him, then you forget him. In Jeremiah chapter 2, in a verse, I think it's verse 32, the children of Israel were leaving God again. They, they did that periodically. But God said, can a, can a bride forget her ornaments? Can a maid forget her attire or dress? Some of you have been brides. Did you forget to put on your jewelry the day you were married? Did you forget to did you forget the ring? I gotta admit this. When my son was married, I was keep I was the keeper of the ring. And I forgot it. But but, I, but the bride didn't. When I got to the wedding and Sandy was there, I said, Sandy, I've got to what I did was I stored some fur, their furniture and we put it in a put it in a storage and I'd I put it in a safe place in the storage. This will be here. It'll always be here. It'll be safe. So when Bill and Sandy got married, I was supposed to go get the ring. Dad forgot it. So I went to Sandy, and she didn't forget it. I said, Sandy, I, I, I don't know what to do. I forgot the ring. She said, I don't care. Any ring will do. So we found a ring. But she didn't forget. I forgot. And the question is, can the bride forget her ornaments? No. Can the maid her attire? The maids of honor and so forth, they had all their dresses. They were all set to go. And he says, how can you forget me? God said in Jeremiah chapter 2. But you have. You've forgotten me. Oh, what a thing to forget God. And it's also, when we think about believing God, respect Respect. One God, the Father of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed His Father. But the Israelites didn't see Him, didn't know Him. When they received the law of Mount Sinai, they saw a mountain, mountaintop full of fire and clouds. And they said, you know, this is a God that we don't want to get close to. We don't want to get too close to Him because we're afraid of Him. We're afraid of what He's going to do. So they didn't get close. Our, our respect for God should not involve fear. It should not involve timidity. 
Because God loves us. And you see it because He sent His Son. Now what kind of God are we serving? We're serving a God who loves me so much, He's going to send His Son down here to get me and bring me home. So, but Israel, they looked up there, they said, wait, don't get too close to God. Keep Him at arm's length, even more than arm's length. In Leviticus 10, there's a story of a couple of fellows by the name of Nadab and Abihu. And oftentimes preachers misuse this text. Nadab and Abihu were the sons of the high priest. And Aaron was a high priest. And they were, they were charged with lighting fires and so forth at the, at the altar. And they got, they got careless about what they were doing. What does God care what we're doing, they said. So they lit the altar fire with fire that did not come. You know, what the, you know what the torch is, the Olympic torch is? They carry that thing all around the world, and one carries it to this one. If, what happens when it goes out? Wow. What an, what an occasion when it goes out. They just, it's, it's all, it's, it's a tragedy. Well, God had, God had lighted the fire for the sacrifices, and he said, use this fire to light the others. Use this one to light that one. Nadab and Bayou said, one fire is as good as another. Why should we care? And so they, they started lighting fires without other, with their own fires. And God destroyed them. People say, uh-oh, God is petulant. God's liable to kill you for nothing. That's nothing, just lighting a fire with another kind of fire. There's nothing to that. Why? What kind of God would do that? Because they disrespected God. They disrespected Him. They said, they spit in His face. They said, hey, we'll do it our way. Who are you to tell us something like this? And so they figured it out on their own. And then there's the case, the occasion of Uzzah. He's a fellow that, that was with David and his company when they went out to get the ark. It was... Still in a tent, David said, no, I don't want the ark of God out in a tent. Now, the ark of God was to be carried in a special way. It was a golden ark. It was a box that had a, a couple of uh, images on it. And inside the ark was the, was the uh, pot of manna and the, the uh, Ten Commandments and so forth. And they had four, four uh, circles or, or catches on, on the four corners of it. And they had, they had rods that went through these, and four of the priests were supposed to carry it on their shoulders. Two, two, and carry it. And so instead of that, David said, hey, let's get a new cart. Let's, let's really honor God. So they went out and they got a cart that had never been used before, and they put it on that cart. Uzzah was part of it. He was one of the priests. Hey, let's get, the, let's, let's get going get this cart into town. Now that's not what God, God said, this is the way I want this carried. They said, who are you, God? We know how to carry an ark. We know how to get it around. Bring my, bring my three-quarter ton pickup down there and carry it in. Well, that's, that's what they were saying. And so as they went along, the ark, ark began to shake in the cart, and Uzzah reached up to stop it, and he struck dead. You say, Wow! God is temperamental. Why would he do something like that? Because he was disrespected. They disrespected him. 
He is God. And he's, what He said, He just like He told Adam and Eve, don't you eat of this tree. We say, wow, what a minor thing. They just ate of that tree. They disrespected God. They didn't trust God. They said, oh, He's no, better, he's no different than we are. My friend, He's the Creator. Amen. When He says, this is the way I want it, you know what? This is the way, Lord, you're going to get it <laughs> from me, I hope. This is, what I, this is what I want to do. The Jews have taken this kind of to an extreme. Now, I respect, we respect God, and we respect Him and all, all that He is or should. Boy, when we were sitting here this morning and singing those songs, I was thinking, Bill, you can't really express how you feel about God. In my prayers, I don't feel adequate, but when we're singing these songs and I hear you singing the songs with me, that makes me feel so good that we can praise God and, and exalt His name in that way. I can do that. And I, it, it helps me. Well, here, here we have the idea that God is apart from us in some degree. We don't want to bring Him down on our level and, and use, use terms like he's, he's, like sometimes we try to use terms concerning God, but we need to be careful that the Jews have, the Jews have carried this kind of to an extreme. They, they, they still don't want God close. When Jesus got down here on the earth and He died for us, you know what He did? He brought God close to you. How close? He put Him right in your heart. He's right there. God is in His holy temple. His holy temple is your heart. He's that close. You know the Jews will not pronounce God's name still. They won't write it. When they're writing about God, you know what they'll do? They'll put the word G, the underscore D. They won't even write that name. They sure won't write the name that they think is His personal name, which is Yahweh. They won't write that at all. And if they do, if they're translating Scripture, they take great caution in it because they think there's, some, there's something disrespectful about even using the name of God. If they do, they wash themselves seven times before they write it. Then they wash themselves after they write it. If his name appears a lot of times in the text, they do a lot of bathing that day. It takes a lot. They won't pronounce it. But you know what God, what Jesus said? He said, He said, when you pray, you say, My Father which art in heaven. Israel, the world had never called God Father until after Jesus came to this earth. Never called Him Father. He is our Father. Amen. God is our Father. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Well, Jesus revealed His Father. Never before had He been called Father, but Jesus said, when you talk, when you talk to God, you call Him Father. You call him Father. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, because your sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He said, Now you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. He is our Father. So the thrust of this lesson this morning is God is. God is to be respected, He is to be trusted, and He is your God. And he's as close to you as Jesus. Do you know him? 
If you know Jesus, you know your Father. You want to know what He looks like? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you like what you see? I'll tell you, when I read those four Gospels, I love what I'm seeing. I love what I'm seeing. Somebody asked me the other day. As a matter of fact, my sister asked me. She said, Bill, what's going to happen to all those people that have never heard about God? And I said, I don't know, sis. But I know this. That they're going to be judged by a man called Jesus. And he is the fairest of the fair. And he'll do right by everyone. And he'll do right by you. Do you need to submit yourself to him? Let us help you do that while together we stand and sing.